You know, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about, uh, especially out of the book of Revelation, the 10th chapter. We've come to a place that is similar to chapter 7. By that I mean, in chapter 7, if you recall, the Lord had an angel hold back the four winds from the four corners of the earth. That is basically the judgment. He was holding back the judgment so as to give the people on earth a time of, of just rest so they could reflect what is happening here on this planet earth with all the tribulation that's going on around them. And then the Lord took 12 tribes of, of the nation of Israel and took 12,000 men from each one of those tribes and he then made a, a 144,000 evangelists that just covered the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. That was the pause, the interlude, that we had in chapter 7. Well, here in chapter 10, there is a similar pause. And, and, and I, I think I, I understand why. And I want to share it with you and, and, and see if you, if you feel that it fits with what is happening here in chapter 10 with John. And also, what does it mean to us today? There's, there's something here that happens that's quite... It, it, it happened once before. It happened to Ezekiel. It was that the Lord asked Ezekiel to eat of the scroll. Well, here in this passage, as we're going to read, we read last week, the Lord asks John to eat of this little book. He said, in your mouth it'll be sweet as honey, but in your stomach it's going to become bitter. And we're going to try to figure what does that mean? Not only what does it mean to them in that day in the great tribulation, so the Lord would allow us to know what's going to happen in the end times. What does it look like? I mean, we've now, I think, figured out that the church will be raptured. The church will be in heaven. I believe that now very strongly. And, and now we're, we're learning that, that the Lord is giving people on earth an opportunity to come to him, not once, but now twice. Uh, and, and, and so that is, I believe, the reason for the pause here in chapter 10. Now read with me and see what you make of this. And we're going to compare it with Ezekiel in a moment. Let's read all of chapter 10 again. We did last week. Let's read it again th this week. Verses 1 through 11. John says, verse 1, I, I saw... Another strong angel came in, coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. The rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, 
as he has preached to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I had heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. In verse 9, John says, I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. And it'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it'll be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of, my, out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many people and nations and tongues and kings. Father, please reveal to us these thoughts. What, what, Lord, are you saying to us? We have a, a pause here between the sixth trumpet and the seventh, which is about to sound in the eleventh chapter, and then the bowls, the seven bowls of judgment that will fall upon mankind in the sixteenth chapter. Lord, during this time of interlude, there is, there is something that is special going on. I believe, it, I believe it, it, it centers itself in verse 11, Father, as you said to John, you must prophesy again. I believe that's a call for us, as it was a call for the 144,000 then in the Great Tribulation, just as it is for us to warn our family and friends of the sweetness of salvation and the bitterness of hell. But please, Father, let me not speak on my own accord. I, I, I beg of you that you would move me aside. I, I, I beg of you, Father. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? Teach us, Father. Where we need to be, would you convict us or comfort us, conform us, do whatever it is, Father, that is needed within our lives so that we might become more and more the children that you have, you've designed us to become, that we would walk with you boldly, uprightly, all the days of our life. Father, please bless us. Move me aside and let your word be heard so that you might minister to each one of us as only you can. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Last week, we kind of wrestled over the fact of who is this angel. You know, in the whole scope of everything in heaven, I don't know that it is that, that important. I believe with all my heart that the angel is not Jesus Christ, as, as some wonderfully, much more intelligent men than me have discovered. They believe that it is. But there is many others on the other ledger just as intelligent that say, no, it's an angel. I believe it's an angel because, because of, of what is happening here, that, that he would come down to earth and touch upon the land and the sea, when, when in fact we were told clearly that Jesus Christ would only come back to the earth the second time. And, and the second time he comes would be to, to pass final judgment upon the earth. Well, this is not that time. And also that the angel would, would stand before God and, and raise his right hand to heaven and swear before him who created all things. I think it was another indication that it was just an angel, which I believed was Michael, the one is who is like our God.
which describes his character traits of, of verse 1 with, the, with the, the rainbow and the face like the sun and feet that were like, like bronze, burnt. But that's not relevant. What is important is what is being said here and what does it mean to us? Now we come to another little hiccup and that is the book. In verse 2, we read that it is a little book that is open. Now, being little does not refer to its size. It appears to be the same book that was open in chapter 5 that Jesus took out of the hand of the Father. So the argument lies in the the use of the Greek word. It's a different word here in verse 2. The Greek word is, let me spell it to you because I don't think I can say it correctly. It's B-I-B-L-A-R-I-D-I-O-N. It means little book. But in chapter 5, it is the word B-I-B-L-I-O-N, which is the root of Bibliarian. If that's the way it's said, I'm sure it's not. And so to overlook the fact that these two words, B-I-B-L-A-R-I-D-I-O-N and B-I-B-L-I-O-N, is used here to describe this same book. And you'll note, you'd have to know Greek, but you'll note in verse 8, uses the word for book, not little book, describing this same book. Why is that important? Um, It probably isn't for every one of us. But to distinguish this book from the one in chapter 5, little, is important because it describes what John sees he must do with this book. You see, the book for all intents and purposes, needed to be smaller to to allow the symbolism of the vision that John was to have to take place since John was asked in verse 10 to eat this book. Look, verse 10, I I took the, the little book, John says, out of the angel's hand and I ate it. In my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it my stomach was made bitter. Most likely, we don't know for certain, but most likely the sweetness that John tasted was the knowledge that he was doing and following the will of God. God asked him to do this, he did it, and that's the sweetness of following our Lord. Whereas perhaps the bitterness of what it was like when it got into his stomach was the sadness over the great tribulation that was going to come upon the world and and, and really hit in all cylinders starting in the last half of the tribulation when the bowl judgments started to fall. At this time, only half of the book has been revealed. We've seen the seven seals and the six trumpets But from the seventh trumpet to the seven bowls, there is this pause, this interlude given. It's it's much like the pause, as I said to you already, in chapter 7, giving people a time, perhaps, to take a breath. You can only imagine, I can, only imagine the havoc that must be going on on earth at that time. I mean, with all the judgments that are falling, the the, the trumpet judgment, the seal judgments, and then finally the bowl judgments are going to come. The people must be just beside themselves. There are those on earth who have not been martyred that are, are believers, and, and their life must be a living hell, wondering, am I going to die? But more, what about my, my loved ones? Because we saw in, in the last study, a third of, the, of mankind had, had died. 
the demons were cut loose and, and a third of the people on this earth have died. It, it had to be the most harrowing of times. And so what does God do? He gives a, a pause, a, a time to reflect. And that's why I believe in verse 11 he says, John, you must prophesy again. In other words, tell people more about my Savior, my Son, the Savior. Now I want you to note something. The strong angel in verse 2 stands with his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. It's a picture of God's complete authority and control over the whole, the whole earth, land and sea. He's in, he's in control of it all. Saying that the kingdom of the world is now the Lord's. Note, after the seventh trumpet sounds, there will be a proclamation made. This is just a setup for it. Look at chapter 11. It's probably almost on the same page as in your Bible as, as you are in chapter 10. Look at verse 15. The seventh angel sounded. That's the seventh trumpet which is going to introduce the seven bowl judgments of God. And it says in verse 15 of chapter 11, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. This is, this is the complete dominance now of God over the planet earth and the universe as, as we know it. And where this angel stands shows us the enormity of this announcement that he is going to make, this little book. It's going to take in the whole world, land as well as the sea. And we see the power that is given to this angel through his voice. That's how John describes it in verse 3. He says he likens his voice to like when a lion roars. And then it is accompanied with the seven peals of thunder that utter their voices. These peals of thunder come, we found out before, in chapter 4, verse 5, they came from the very throne room of God. And they come with great drama, emphasizing the importance of the message that is coming from this little book. If you remember, in the book of the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, the fifth verse, the peals of thunder came down from heaven. And here, the content of what they say is not recorded. John was prepared to write down. He heard what they said, and he was prepared to write it down in verse 4. And then a voice from heaven came and said to him, Seal up the things which the peals of thunder have said, have spoken. Do not write them down, John. Don't write them. Now, this is very unusual for the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation was designed to reveal God's plan of the end times to those of us who are on the earth now. It wasn't planned to conceal what was going to happen. So we are still in mystery over what is uttered here. But again, what it does is shows you and me the complete authority and control of every single detail of our Lord he still tells John what to write, when to write it, and what not to write. Now it appears in verse 5, by the gesture of this angel standing on the earth and the sea, when he lifts his right hand to heaven, this is symbolic of taking an oath before God. 
Now, since the angel is taking an oath to God, the creator of all things, it ought to reassure us again that this angel is not Jesus Christ. As we stated last week, it's, it's one who is like our God, Michael, whose name means who is like our God. Note his words, verse 6. He swore, or he took an oath, by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and the things in it, the earth and the things in it, the sea and the things in it, that there should be a delay no longer. This means he is now affirmed through this oath of what he is about to say. And what he is about to say is he's going to pass a terrible and horrible judgment, final judgment, upon the earth through the seven bowls that are going to fall on the earth, one after another when we come to the 16th chapter. It's going to come upon all who dwell upon the earth. So God is is ready now to complete his plan. He has judged the heavens, he has judged the earth, he has judged the sea and everything in it. And what he has judged is those who have denied who he is, God of very God, the Lord, the only God, the Savior of this world. Psalms 135 verse 6 states, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whether it be in heaven or on earth, whether it be in the seas or in the depths of the seas. Again, we see God's complete control. I want you to note something here about the seventh angel. As he's about to sound this final trumpet judgment, as we've already read in chapter 11, verse 15, he says that the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he, they, will reign forever and ever. The completion of this judgment that has come to the earth does not take hold, though, until we come to the 16th chapter, the 17th verse. It is there that it says a loud voice, again, a loud voice comes from the very throne of God saying, it is done, it is done, it's over with. God is going to do just as he said he was going to do. Nothing and no one shall get in his way. Nothing and no one shall alter his plan. Not even one of them. Now you and I might wonder. When he says in verse 6, for instance, there shall be a delay no more. No longer shall there be a delay. We, we, we might wonder, does God really know? Does he really care about our trials? about our suffering, about our woes? Does he care what you and I are going through right now in our lives if we're going through some difficulties? The Bible assuredly tells us without question, yes, he does. He cares and he is in complete control. Listen, listen again to Psalms 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does whether it be in heaven or on earth, whether it be in the sea or the depth of the sea. There is a hitch, though. There is. You need to, this needs to be preached. The, the, the trouble is he does it in his good time, not ours. Romans 8.28, Paul writes, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those of us who love him and are called according to what? His purpose, not ours. His purpose. 
And so you see, as verse 7 reminds us, the mystery of God, John writes, is finished as he preached to his servants and the prophets. In other words, God made a promise long ago, and he is now, we're watching it take place, he is now fulfilling or completing that promise. We are seeing what is happening in the end times. It's amazing. The mystery, we now know at least part of it, Revelation eleven fifteen says, The kingdom of the world, it's over with. It's now become the kingdom of our Lord and of the Christ. The mystery, the Father and the Son ruling together forever and ever, is told in this great book. And how does it come about? Simple, terrible, through terrible plagues, judgment. As an almighty God comes upon all of mankind who have rejected him and his son as God. That's why he gives this pause here. So that others might have another opportunity to accept him. We don't have all the details of how this all takes place. But God's prophet knew portions of this mystery. And now we're understanding as much as he will allow us to understand. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says this, for now you and I see in a mirror dimly, but soon we will see face to face. We now know in part, but soon we will know fully, just as we have been fully known. As Mary was sitting in the back there, the first service, I, I said to her with as much respect as I could, I am so envious of Steve. I mean... When we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, Steve is really experiencing that. Well, we come to the last part, and which I think is perhaps the crux of what is happening here, why there is this pause. We come to verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And something unusual with this little book happens to John, much like it did to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to ask you to, to turn your, hold your place here and turn to the, to the middle of your Bible. Uh, if you get to the book of Psalms, pretty much the middle of the Old Testament, turn to the right and you'll go past the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and all of that. And you'll go to Isaiah and, and then Jeremiah and then Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 2 with me. Not right now. Just someone, I want you to hold it because it's... It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make its point. In Psalms, chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, we are told this about the Word of God. It says in verse 10 that the Word of God is more desirable than gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is sweeter than the, the drippings of the honeycomb. I wonder if you believe that. It goes on to say in the 11th verse concerning the Word of God, in keeping God's Word, there will be great reward. you believe that as well? You need to know that Psalms 19, verses 10 and 11, is kind of my th statement for this church, for the Rock Community Church. It's what I believe inwardly for us. That the Word of God is, is more desirable than gold itself, that the Word of God is sweeter than honey, that the Word of God, in keeping what we try to teach here at this church, will give you great rewards. It is what I believe from the very depth of my soul. It's why we preach the way we do here at this church. 
We don't try to give you our philosophy of life. We don't try to give you our ideas of what is right and what is wrong for a living. We want to try to find out what does God say is right? What does God say is wrong? And we want you and me and all of us to follow after what he says because his word is more desirable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And in keeping it, there will be great rewards for us. Jeremiah 15, 16 says the very same thing. He says, your word, talking to God, your word, dear God, became for me a joy, a delight in my heart. I ask you, is God's word sweet to you? Is his word like gold? Is it a joy, a delight in your heart? I pray it is. So John is to said to take hold and eat the book. And, and in verse 9, John is obedient to that request. He goes to the angel. He asks the angel, and back please in, in, in Revelation chapter 10, verse 9, he goes to the angel and he says, the angel tells him, take and eat it. It's going to make your stomach bitter and in your mouth it's going to be sweet as honey. That kind of been real. I, this is not really so important to this message, but let me just share it with you, please. Yesterday, when, and, and Friday and Saturday, when we had uh, Love and Respect here, which I heard was tremendous success, and for those of you that, that, that came here for it, uh, I, I, I heard, at least from my family, it was a great time. My son and, and daughter-in-law came, and, and so we got, we, Kay and I had the privilege of taking care of our grandson, Dylan. So when I went to go pick them up so that they could come here to church and then have the, the, the evening for themselves, you know, just whatever the Love and Respect Conference will do for a couple of that evening. So we wanted to take the kids, so we took Dylan. So I go to Jennifer, my daughter-in-law, and I, so that Dylan doesn't hurt, I said, uh, has he eaten? Can I take him for ice cream? And she said, oh, he'll love that. He'll love that, Dad. Go. So we get in the car, and I go to D-Man. I say, hey, D-Man, how about we stop off at a local ice cream parlor and get some ice cream? I said, would you like that? Oh, yeah, Pop, I would. I said, great. Now, listen, here's the plan. I know exactly where we're going. We're going to this gelato place, D. It's got the best ice cream. And I said, you know, they have that ice cream that displays in the window, Dylan? I said, don't, don't tell them what you want right away. Taste them. Good. Ask them ask for taste. Let's taste as many as we can. He says, I already know what I want, Papa. I said, I know it, I know it. I said, but let's taste. So we get there, and as the Lord would have it, the place was kind of empty. And I go up to the young, young kid that, that works there, and I said, look. I said, I'll give you whatever you, know, you want. I'll give you a tip. Would you please let us taste all the ice cream we can? We just want to have a tasting party. He said, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no problem. So, I'm with my little, so we're tasting everything. And Dylan, always, he said, I don't know what I want. I said, oh, cool it. Taste a little bit more. So we're tasting everything. And we just had the time of our lives. And then we got this ice cream, and we sat down on a bench, and we started to eat. And, and I knew what was going to happen. Number one, if ice cream was heroin, I'd be on the street somewhere. You'd have to, be, I'd be going to eat some more. I just, just a little more. I love ice cream, but I know enough not to eat it. I just, I can't eat it because it, it's dairy. It hurts my tummy afterwards. And while I was eating, I was thinking to myself, because I had already studied about this, I said, this is it. Sweet, in a little while, it's going to be bitter. In a little while, it's going to really mess me up. But I thought it was worth the sweetness with my grandson to go through the bitterness. Now, that's not theologically correct of what we just were studying. But why was it sweet for John? 
Well, I believe it was sweet for him because of the message. The sweetness and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Why was it bitter? It was bitter because of the terrible news he was going to have to give. That without Jesus Christ, you will be condemned forever and ever in a place that is called hell. John experienced the bitterness and the sweetness to his taste. The bitterness was that what was going to befall upon mankind on this earth during this, this tremendous, tremendous time that lies ahead that you and I will study shortly in, when we get to chapter 16. Now I wanted you to look at Ezekiel. I want to show you what I believe is relevant for you and me today here on this earth. Not, not in the end times, but what does God ask of you and me today concerning verse 11 in the book of Revelation where John was told you must prophesy again. You must. You must prophesy again. You know, that, those words should ring loud and clear with every single one of us who have a love for Jesus Christ in this place. In Ezekiel, if you come to the second chapter, the Lord says to him, and I really love the way it starts in chapter 2, the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, verse 1, stand on your feet so that I might speak to you. In other words, brace yourself. He says, I'm going to send you, verse 3, to the sons of Israel. I'm sending you to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. He says in verse 5, as for them, whether they listen or not, because they are rebellious people, they're going to know that a prophet has been among them. In verse 7 he says, I want you to speak my words to them, whether they listen to you or not. They are rebellious. Listen to verse 7 of chapter 3. To the house of Israel, they will not be willing to listen to you because they, have, they were not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. I, I think about that. I, I, I think about the people that I have shared my faith with, my family in particular. Today I'm, I'm not going to have the privilege of being at the picnic with you guys because... My sister and brother-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary is today, and my wife and I and the kids are driving to San Diego, so we might celebrate with them and have a wonderful time with the family. But I think back, much like I do the story with my grandson and, and the bitterness and the sweetness of, of ice cream and then the bitterness afterwards, I, I think of the experience I had with my own family sharing Christ. At one time when my mother and my father were both alive and my sister, uh, we were at her home in San Diego, and... I shared with all of them the wonders of Christ, what, what had happened to me. It was quite a while ago when I had first become a believer in Jesus Christ, and I shared with them the wonders of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And After I was through, really not after I was through, right about three-fourths of the way through, my sister looked at me and said, I want you out of my house, and I don't want, I don't want, I don't want you ever to come back here again. And my dad said to her, Ah, Joan, don't be so hard on him. <laughs> and... Um, she said, no, Dad, I, I don't want to hear this stuff from him. And she kicked me out of her house. Yeah, I did. Had to leave. And as I was driving home from San Diego, I remember, which probably surprises you, I started to cry. Yeah. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and I said, Lord, this is, this is insane. Uh, 
I don't want my family to live with, with me forever and ever in heaven. And it dawned on me that he loved them much more than I did. And so I asked him to do me a favor. I said, look, if my sister won't listen to me anymore concerning who you are, would you please be kind enough to bring somebody, anybody into her life that will touch her heart for the cause of your son, Jesus Christ? Well, now they go to church, my family does. Not all of them. And today when I go to that function, I, I'm asking the Lord to bring my family to me, those that will ask and that I will be able to tell them the sweetness of Jesus Christ and also accept that they might be rebellious and the bitterness that might happen because of it. And here's why. Would you read with me further in chapter 3 of Ezekiel? Our Lord is saying to, I believe, all of us who trust and believe in him in verse 17, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you warn the people from me. He says in verse 18, When I say to the wicked, you're going to die, and you do not warn them or speak out to warn the wicked from their wicked ways that they may live, that wicked person's going to die in their sin, but their blood I'm going to require of your hand. Yet, he says in verse 19, if you've warned the wicked, and they still do not turn from their wickedness, nor from their wicked ways, they're going to die, just as he said in verse 18. But, in verse 19 at the end, you have delivered yourself. In other words, you have done what I have asked you to do. You are obedient. You see, folks, I believe this pause is for those on the earth during the Great Tribulation that they might be reminded again of the goodness, the sweetness of Jesus Christ and the bitterness that will come to them if they do not come to, come to accept Christ. But I believe this pause is for you and me as well. I believe that pause is a time that we would reflect upon the loved ones that we know, the people that we come in contact with, and asking God, God, would you please give us an opportunity to share with our loved ones, with our friends, our families, our neighbors, anyone, Father, you bring them, we'll share. And what he is saying to you is what he's saying to all of us. The result, they're not yours. The result of who comes to Christ and who doesn't come to Christ, that's not your business. That's God's business. Your business, my business, is to be faithful and share. In my Bible, I've got underlined pretty heavily in red where it says, if you'll do what is right, I will not require their blood from your hands. I want you and me to be a people who, who by the best of our ability, d does what is right before God so that we would have the joy of our salvation, so that we would be a people who, like John, and I believe this is the sweetness. He is tasting the sweetness of God because of his obedience to God. The bitterness, that's the message. You and I have the privilege 
Don't worry about their response. Just worry that you go and tell. Don't worry what will happen. Just know that you must prophesy again and again and again. And that word again tells us that the message is the same. It's not a different message. It's the same yesterday as it is today as it will be tomorrow. Tell. Tell people of Jesus Christ. When you're out at that park today and enjoying the picnic, you represent Christ. With those amongst the church, any friends who might be coming, anybody that might observe us, let them see through our light and through our salt the wonders of our Savior. Father, please, allow us the privileges of privilege, and that is to be able to represent you and let us take to heed what you have said to Ezekiel. If we do, and, and warn as you've asked us to warn, the blood of the people will not be on our hands. It'll be on their own. If they turn and come to you, you will allow them to live. And we can rejoice in that, Father. And so, Father, would you please bless us as we represent you here on this earth during this time. May we be faithful. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.